like a clown, no notes, all pages Bagging, boarding Batman in the gutter like a Macy Storytellers, we some fellas, we some felons Isn't amazing, Zacapella, Vericella Cause this shit is so contagious Mouse on the summaries, compiler, got the show While the cycle spitting knowledge on the Yeti like a pro Keep the babble, we the rabble, don't step to the squad We get active, and haters like a cephalopod You don't like fish talk? Do you hate a tomato? We the cuttlefish killers, tentacles on the tape Greatest five stars if you cherish your life Bucky Barnes hit squad spraying lead in your pipe Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Is It Just Bad? Is It Just Bad? The best podcast you've ever heard of. I'm your host, Professor Mouse, as always, by the same because of Mouse himself. Treasure good, treasure good. The Ravens agree in principle to a five-year, $100 million contract with linebacker Roquan Smith. Trash or good? Uncle Ro is good, dude. <laughs> I think this is great. Um, oh, you're a hater. You're being a hater. Wait, you're, wait, you're I'm being a hater? hater? Oh, I see. So by default... Since I think this is a good deal, I must be a Lamar Jackson hater. Those things are correlated and not causated. I am also a Lamar Jackson hater at this point. This is Lamar Jackson is never going to play another snap as a Raven. That's my hot take. He is injured. He's not coming back for the playoffs. Mm-hmm. He's gone. He's done. That's well, my incendiary take. Well, your take is is potentially true, but here's here's the difference. Here's here's the rub. And this is like a very much uh, the NFL is like the most anti-labor sort of like league is that they have the franchise tag system. Yeah. Yeah. Which can functionally bound Lamar Jackson to the Baltimore Ravens for two years um, to the tune of over a hundred million dollars guaranteed, which is kind of what he's looking for anyway. Um, And so Lamar might hold out this year certainly doesn't look like he's playing against Cincinnati if somehow the Ravens managed to beat Cincinnati in the wild card round with Tyler Huntley it is going to absolutely ruin his negotiating power because they will be able to say that you have as many playoff wins as Tyler Huntley That's it's, fucking embarrassing. That's so brutal because, like, theoretically, oh, keep him healthy, get him healthy again. Tyler beats the the Bengals, then he comes back for the playoffs. But if Tyler beats the Bengals, you don't need him to come back. No, no, because you'll be at the exact same point you would have been with Lamar. Mm-hmm. And, and also, if we lose in the first round, we will be at the exact same point that we would have been with Lamar as well. Just right, and that's the thing is Lamar hasn't played in what four weeks almost five weeks now got injured on december 4th or something and yeah and what is the big difference is rocon smith who takes what something like a 27th ranked defense and turns it into a third ranked defense it's some kind of um uh spread like that Mm -hmm. it's so interesting to watch how you know there's all of this talk made about Lamar is the offense. The offense can't function without Lamar. You know, it's a star quarterback. And then no one ever wants to talk about the fact that a single star person on the defense can be such a monster that it makes everyone else better the same way. And so, so Roquan Smith gets this deal. I totally agree with you that the most likely outcome is that the Ravens franchise tag Lamar Jackson. He's stuck. They're stuck with him. He's stuck with them for another year to two years. He gets almost as much money as he's looking for. But what happens? 
He you know, peters out in the playoffs again. His knee explodes. Um, in the meantime, Roquan Smith, five years locked in, highest played, paid player at his position, which is, and I can't believe I'm saying this, only $20 million. <laughs> yeah. Um, and looks like the second coming of Ray Lewis. Yeah, no, he's 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 doing fantastic. And the I, I let me just go through because I think this is very illustrative of I think Oz is an evil genius and was preparing for this moment, I think, <laughs> of when he would have to deal with um so the, the here's the thing with this a uh, small market team, right? We cannot pay. And I, I will be so fascinated to see what happens with Joe Burrow in Cincinnati because that's another small market team and he's going to demand a ton of money. Um, we cannot pay these huge contracts to quarterbacks and because that will just create this salary cap conundrum where we can't sign other players which is why historically when the ravens have done really well and have pushed far into the playoffs and when they won super bowls it's because they had a great defense and a fucking mediocre to bad quarterback trent dilfer awful joe flacco great that season specifically uh, just that season yeah specifically that season and the ravens because what you're talking about with you know Roquan Smith becomes the highest paid player at his position is not getting paid that much money. The reason that our defense is so good is because it's not like this. Uh, it's not like this culture of the Ravens that people talk about. Although it is that, it's because the defense costs less money than offense. Mm-hmm. Wide receivers are more expensive than cornerbacks. Uh, 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 like quarterbacks are more expensive than like four linebackers. And so when you do the calculus, when you do the money ball calculus, you go, how do we figure out a way to maximize our defense, which is the cheaper side of the football, and then make our offense able to score 15 points, which is what Tyler Huntley has been doing. The defense just isn't quite there yet, but so th- these are our picks in the 2022 draft. So with our first pick, we took the safety Kyle Hamilton, which I think that's going to pan out. Our secondary is, is, is moving on. We got some vets in there, Marcus Peters and Marlon Humphrey. And then we also have a bunch of like first and second year players. The secondary is uh, struggling, but I think it's, it's part of the inexperience that they have. And so came out of the gate. We drafted a safety. Our next pick, Tyler Linderbaum. This was the pick that made Lamar, you know, upset or whatever. Uh, we traded up uh, to get Tyler Linderbaum, who is the sa- who is the center, um, and then we we ditched Hollywood Brown. Good move. and Tyler, yeah, Hinder- Linderbaum has then turned out to be the f- biggest rising star at that position, All Pro, you know, finalist or whatever. He looks great. Yeah. Also, the fact that you would be mad that someone would draft a center which is the person who is chiefly responsible for protecting you the quarterback right yeah it's crazy you want to get hit more yeah uh our next pick after that david ojabo uh outside linebacker um from big 10 michigan huge guy has been playing great uh travis jones d tackle in the third round uh 
Daniel Falelli, uh, offensive tackle, uh, Jalen Armour Davis, cornerback. Every one of these picks is a defensive pick. We don't have an offensive position player until the fourth round when we dra- when we draft Charlie Kohler, who is a tight end. Um, and that just keeps going like that all the way through our draft. We are rebuilding the defense, I think. And this is part of Oz's sort of like master money ball shit. We're rebuilding the defense intentionally because I think we're ditching Lamar because there's no way we're trapping $300 million in one player. That makes total sense that if he already knows that he's going to let Lamar walk, then he just builds up the defense because you can get guys like Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith who can neutralize your Joe Mixons and your Joe Burrows and the best players at those sorts of positions for fractions of the cost. Yeah. And if you look at the broader picture here, too, you you look at Deshaun Watson. Let's imagine Deshaun Watson gets back to a level where he was playing. In, in, yeah, let's imagine he's good again. Sure. Yeah, let's imagine he's good again. And he showed flashes at the end of uh, of the year. Uh, and let's look at Joe Burrow and let's look at Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, Tyler Boyd that whole Hayden Hurst who we fucking stupid, stupidly let go. Let's look at that. Is Lamar going to be better than either of those two guys? No, I don't think so. I don't think he's going to be ever better than Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow is a mobile quarterback who can throw the fuck out of the football. Uh, He is already proved. He's already gotten to a Super Bowl. He's had playoff success. He shows up in big moments and his game is much harder to neutralize than Lamar's game, which has been neutralized every single playoff uh, game that he has been in, even the one he fucking won. And so I think that they're playing like 4D chess where they're looking at this and they're going, we're never going to out offense the AFC North. That's just never going to happen. So we're going to have to figure out a way to neutralize Burrow to neutralize Watson and you know, every time we play Pittsburgh, it's going to be like six to three and that's <laughs> yeah, just the way we like it. No, I think that's absolutely right. And part of the reason, like you said, the game plan to neutralize them, Lamar either needs incredible wide receivers to make up for his mediocre passing game, which you can't buy if you're paying Lamar all that money. Right. And who don't want to uh, play with- and who don't want to play with him because they could play with Joe Burrow instead. Yeah, or they could play with yeah. Joe. That's the other thing, too. If you're a wide receiver, you look at the landscape of the NFL and how many fantastic... Lamar is playing so out of his era. Like, if he was playing 20 years ago in a run-heavy league where, like, the run was much more valuable and much more focused on than the passing game... But, I mean, you got Mahomes casually throwing for 5,000 yards. Like, look at all of the quarterbacks who are in the playoffs. You have Patrick Mahomes, you have Joe Burrow, you have Justin Herbert, you have Josh Allen, you have uh, Tyler Lawrence. What's that guy's name? Trevor Lawrence. Uh, You have Tom Brady's old ass. Like, you have all these people who, all these quarterbacks who throw, 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 throw. And they're the ones who are going to win. Kirk Cousins. And the young ones can all move. Yeah, yeah. And they, they just because, you know, they can't run quite as well as Lamar. Well, Lamar can barely run quite as well as Lamar anymore, <laughs> you know. And two years ago, 
or three years ago when this was new and it was hard to scheme for and Lamar was playing doing you know video game style cheat code moves that was great but then we stopped we didn't have any receivers and then it became very one dimensional and so I think I think you're totally right that the for all of the oh Lamar really wants to stay we really want him to stay he's working really hard in the background it's so interesting to go back to the draft and look at what they were doing to build and they're just preparing they're setting the table for when Lamar leaves yeah and if they and if they do all of the table setting and then either do anything other than franchise tagging for a year, then what's the point of doing all that table setting? <laughs> yeah, there, there's there's talk of we have a a a run first offense and we have a mobile quarterback who we don't want to pay. Um, where can we move him? Because the other thing too is I think it's going to be hard to trade Lamar. I think people are you know, analysts are, are are saying like, you know, plenty of people would pay him, you know, the 300 million guaranteed. So the Ravens are going to have to pay him eventually. And I, I don't know that that's true. I mean, a lot of analysts have said this, not just like the talking heads that are on sports talk radio, but like other like people from the athletic and shit like that. And it strikes me as untrue. I don't know why, but it does not strike me as true that that is the case that somebody that a team would pay 300 million Unless it's like the fucking Rams or something. Like, I don't know. Well, that's what I was thinking. A big market team that wants, you know, the Raiders. I don't know. Somebody that's in a big market that wants a, maybe specifically the Raiders. Yeah. Who, what, have just lost Derek Carr and who, you know, are there for name value, who want like a installation. You know, they'll pay um, Siegfried and Roy however much money to just like put up (laughs) shop or share. Like, it's there for brand name. That's yeah. the point. And so Lamar is a brand name. And you know what, you know, all of those installation shows are also like is it's usually somebody who's like 10 years past being at the peak of their relevancy. Mm-hmm. It still has an established fan base. It's going to trade off that name value and still do some good work. But, you know, that's they're not current in the same way anymore. Big market team with money to spend that's looking to draw eyes to its product right. might pay Lamar money. Well, but like so- you said, Baltimore's a small market team. Yeah, so the so the big the in that vein the big name that's being tossed about is Justin Fields, because the Chicago Bears are tearing down Soldier Fields. They're building a new complex. They're a huge market team with a lot of sort of entrenched history in the NFL, um, and both offenses are so far catered to a run first quarterback. Uh, and they were Justin, dumb enough to let Roquan Smith go. Maybe they'll give Baltimore their quarterback uh, also leasing Chicago for everything that they got <laughs> uh, and but a similar thing will happen at, but uh where because Justin Fields this year at least showed that he could make it happen by himself mm-hmm. uh, which is not something you necessarily want your quarterback to have to do um uh, but Justin Fields strikes me as a better passer than Lamar um and he is a worse, a slightly worse runner than Lamar. He's not as spectacular. Um, he's not as explosive. He he can't like accelerate. He can't get there as quickly. Um, but he's like crafty. He's small. He's hard to he's hard to catch. Um, like when you see him playing out there, he's like incredibly small. Not like Kyler Murray Murray small because Kyler Murray is like jacked. 
with Justin Fields is out there, you feel like the kicker is playing quarterback or some shit. It's like he's very small as a dude. Um, there were reports early in the season that the Bears took a bunch of Ravens plays for Justin Fields. Yeah. Um, and I watched the Bears all season and it looked like it. Like, oh, he's running Lamar style plays. But that's exactly what I want out of a Baltimore quarterback is somebody who can doesn't have to run quite as well, but can throw better and more accurately. Um, and, you know, fine. We, if if that first year we get that person, they're still only throwing to tight ends. Not the end of the world. Yeah. Um, but just a little bit more variety will help. So I think Justin Fields is like my dream figuring that Chicago wouldn't go for that. But I don't know. <laughs> Baltimore got Rokon Smith. We'll see. Yeah. And 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 so they but the other thing that is not true with Chicago, though, which will make the deal hard, is that we're not just going to trade quarterback for quarterback unless it's like fucking Patrick Mahomes. We're not doing that. We want more out of the deal than just a quarterback back. We want draft picks like the Ravens traffic in draft picks. That's how we've always built our teams. And so they're going to have to whoever whoever we find as a trade partner is going to have to agree to broker their future and sacrifice it all. With the understanding that Lamar Jackson is going to bring them a Super Bowl. And Lam, we said a couple of weeks ago, hey, if Lamar can win a Super Bowl somewhere else, more power to it. But because where, the, where, but, would, where would that be? Yeah. And, and, you know, why as a trade partner would you look at Lamar and go, Baltimore doesn't want to mortgage their future, Why? but I think I, I will. That makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, so the I think he's talked about, or because he's from there, people have talked about Miami and, and Tua's out. Uh, now that... Is Tua? Yeah, I was going to ask about Tua. Is he done? He's done for this year. I don't know moving forward what, what what's going to be the case, but so in my mind, uh, Tyreek Evans and Jalen Waddle, or sorry, Ty, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle get Lamar Jackson as their quarterback, lose Tua, and go like, what the fuck? This is not why I came here. Mm-hmm. I, I came here for a accurate passer. Yeah, Waddle would want to leave. And Hill would want to leave. Hill, yeah. Hill Hill was on pace to break the single season uh receiving like record. He was on pace to break 2000 yards and then you know, Tua got hurt and that's what he wants to do. And I I can't remember what podcast it was. Uh or no, I think it was First Things First Greg Jennings was talking about Tyreek and he was like Tyreek Hill is one of those players. He's already got a Super Bowl. Now he could care, care less if he wins the game as long as he puts up 150 yards and two touchdowns. He's tough. just playing himself in fantasy. Yeah, he's just playing. He's just out there trying to set records and shit like that, which is why when he was in that well-oiled Kansas City offense, which, you know, and it wasn't a knock. It was more like he was just observing like what happened and 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 why you would go from one place to the other. And the obvious answer is that when you're the number one option rather than one A and one B, you uh, you're able to accrue those stats. I don't think that Tyreek Hill has any delusion that he's going to win a Super Bowl with the Miami Dolphins. That would be crazy because no one ever has like so it, it, especially now with Tua so 
I I don't know. And the Dolphins, given that it is not a secret that Tom Brady wants to go there really badly, um, and given that your two biggest sort of like offensive pieces, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, would really benefit from that and they would make them happy and they would want to stay there. I don't think that they're moving to a for anybody before be, besides like a pass first, mm-hmm. incredibly accurate thrower of the football, maybe an Aaron Rodgers type. That's fascinating. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, and like you said, Ravens make their plans with draft picks. So, um, did you did you watch this college football championship game? I uh, did. Georgia. Yeah. So Georgia versus TCU, the 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 horny toads, horned frogs. Which are not toads or frogs; they're lizards. Very confusing. Um, and that's some kind of like, yeah, it was crazy. Yeah, magical comeback story to get to the championship game. Um, Georgia, the Bulldogs, um, who are last year's champion, looking to repeat. And yes, the final score was sixty-five to seven. Um, Georgia just stomped all over them. It got to the point where it was playing in LA and there was a little bit of rain and the rain was coming in sideways through the um through the stadium and it was only raining on the TCU fans. <laughs> it's just it's absolutely a cartoon. Um but this is the sort of you know, this happens in college football, right? It's just like lopsided. Um I'm assuming Ozzy and the 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 Ravens uh, intelligentsia are looking at offensive line and defensive line and they don't care who plays quarterback eventually they're going to have to draft a quarterback um i don't think that this was a clear indication necessarily that georgia's quarterback is like the next big thing so much as it is that tcu was just simply outclassed Mm -hmm. but um the weirdest thing about watching college football going between nfl and college two weird things one when you switch back and forth despite the fact that you know, this, everybody's about the same size. You can tell that they're small. You can tell that they're still kids. Yeah. And well, like half of them have had their growth spurts. Go ahead. Just, uh, I found a crazy fact out, and it relates to what you just said about they're just kids. But do you know how old the quarterback for the Georgia Bulldogs is? 20. He's 25. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's the... They're kids, except like the sixth year players. Yeah, because they do that whole like red super seniors. Yeah, where they do like because every time you go, uh, you like change schools, you red shirts, you're out and then but you get an extra year of eligibility. So you could be at college for fucking ever. That's crazy. Twenty five is old as fuck for you need to to leave, bro. Yeah. Yeah. And and they were talking during the game about there are some of these guys who are in their fifth and sixth year. Um. It's such a strange little industry because they are, you know, it's trade school for them, right? It really is. But there's also constantly an audition for the NFL. And for some of them, that's it. Like, you know, if they don't make it to the NFL or they blow their knees out or something, it can be kind of tragic. The There's um, one of the announcers who's been doing, I think, Thursday Night Football as well. He's a good announcer, but he's talking in totally unself-conscious terms about you know the georgia coach was able to manipulate these kids minds and put a chip on their shoulder and convince them that everybody thought they weren't going to make the playoffs again 
And that's not true. That's just simply not true. They were the defending champions. They're an incredible team. They had a complete, an undefeated record this season. But, you know, this coach was so good at manip- – he used the word manipulate. And as though it's some kind of badge of honor and strategy for these college coaches to be, like, brainwashing children, except the guys are 25. But it's strange when – because they're not being paid and and they – don't have these big contracts and they're not adult professionals in the NFL. They don't have the same kinds of thing. They don't have the same kinds of endorsements to play for. They don't have the same kinds of contracts to, to negotiate. And so what they are playing for is school spirit, pride, personal development to like audition for the, for the major league. But as a result, it's like child soldiers. I don't know. There's something very, um, well, fucked up about college football in a way that obviously the NFL, we just saw somebody die temporarily on the field. That is fucked up in its own totally different way. Those men are being paid a lot of money and they're being paid a lot of money because they have very short career spans and in some cases, very short lifespans. And it's essentially hazard pay. You are asking these children and minors in many cases to do something that uh, these other guys are getting paid millions of dollars for, for no pay, for right. the hope of getting that kind of contract, unless they were talking about one of the Georgia players was taking painkiller shots because he's got like his knees are all busted up and his legs are all busted up. And, you know, they they play him really early in the first half because the painkiller shot's going to wear off. And he's got like the knees of a 60 year old or something. Jesus. Cool. He wins. The, he wins the college championship game. Mm-hmm. Then what? He goes and is a real estate agent, I guess, because he's not going to make it to the NFL. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, they just go and 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 you know they they just enter into the same uh, labor pool as their peers with their bachelor's degree and whatever subject that they majored in, and have the same kind of job precarity. The difference being that they made uh, their institution millions of dollars, right? But, you know, there's no kind of, like, pension for these college kids. They just, you know, burnish the reputation of the school, and four four or five of them end up making $20 million in the NFL. Uh, and the rest of them... Even in the huge schools, too, because in, the, in those SEC schools, like the massive schools in the South, like... Not all of those guys make it into the NFL. I mean, a lot of a lot of guys from Alabama make it. A lot of guys from Georgia make it. But, like, most of them don't even on the best squads. And so they're playing at the highest elite level, like sub NFL level too, and taking that kind of damage and punishment and shit like that. And it's, it's grisly. And I know, you know, personally, I taught at a D one school and I taught a lot of professional football players and it's, or not professional, semi-professionals, like college level, some who did go on to be in the NFL, and they were exhausted all the time, didn't turn in most of their work. Uh, And on one level, it's like, well, this isn't my problem, but on another level, it's like, well, yeah, how could you? Like, you are practicing as if you're a professional athlete. Uh, They have a full-time job. They're just not being paid for it. (laughs) Yeah, but like a super, super full-time job too because I had a full-time job in in college, but I wasn't like getting the shit beat out of me. 
right who's just you know riding around in a bus yeah so it's it's odd to think but like i don't know the college football bothers me way more than uh watching demar hamlin die and then come back to life um yeah i mean they're both pretty bad demar they're both pretty bad back in buffalo yeah he's doing seems to be doing okay which is really great I'm happy for him yeah and uh he 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 became lucid. He watched the Buffalo game, uh, I believe, at the University of Cincinnati Hospital. They released him to Buffalo, where he was at the hospital for a little bit. Now he's back home, recovering on his own sort of uh, cognizance, and and in by all accounts is doing well, um, which is pretty incredible. Cool. Yeah, that's pretty yeah. great. It's wild. So we talked a little bit about um, Vegas acts, and this was on purpose in addition to being a good analogy, um, because I just saw yeah. production of The Tempest, uh, which is choreographed and co-directed by Teller of Penn and Teller. <laughs> um, and in fact, debuted like 10 years ago in Vegas and ran uh, for a long time as like a Vegas installation show. Um, it is... Uh, Teller, this is not his first Shakespeare adaptation. He did an adaptation of uh, Macbeth uh, with fancy, clever illusions for like, you know, the dagger I see before me and lots of stage blood and very clever. And that one was very much stage illusion of, you know, Teller's expertise supporting the play. Mm -hmm. So very excited to go see this one, figuring it's going to be something similar. Um, this was kind of the opposite. It was very much the play supporting his illusions. Um, and it is as much a love letter to 20th century stage mag magic as it is any kind of real um, adaptation of of the show itself. And so, you know, Prospero, the wizard, is dressed as a, you know, 1900s stage magician. He's got the little stage wand with a little silver cap on it, um, that kind of thing. And they cut a lot of it um, to make room for some really, really impressive stage magic. Uh, Ariel just has cards all the time, just coming out of his mouth, you know, popping out of, uh, out of random places. Um, they put him in a, a box and he like gets twisted all around. It's like a torture device at one point. Uh, really, really cool tricks. Uh, Prospero levitates uh, Miranda at one point in like a whole big set piece. That's very cool. Good magic. Um, very sweet. The cuts though I mean there's there's not a whole lot of story left and if you're familiar with the tempest you can kind of piece it together um the comedy so the reason i bring this up is timing is everything and timing is in of course so important for comedy you can't slow comedy down it's not funny so trinculo the clowns caliban the caliban is played by two people uh, from the uh, palabolus which is like a gymnastic dance troupe Either one of them, these guys, would have been a fantastic Caliban. Instead, they were like, they had their arms linked the whole time and were like spinning around. So it looked like this four-legged beast. Wow. Um, they'd like jump up on each other while they're talking. And the whole time, both of them are, are delivering these lines like in sequence with each other. So it's one creature. And they were awesome. Yeah, that rules. Um, it is really interesting because, and they're all like, they're painted up. Um, so it's hard to tell where one of them starts and the other one ends. And it's very much Caliban is a tricky character when you use the Tempest, you know, 
as people should, to talk about colonialism. That's about the play. And it's not to say that, you know, oh, people discovered that this could be used as a, as a commentary on colonialism. Colonialism was already a thing when Shakespeare wrote the play. He did that on purpose. Um, so casting a white guy and a black guy to, like, share playing Caliban might have backfired terribly, might have been, like, massively insensitive. Because this show is entirely on based on vibes and, like, carnival vibes vaudeville vibes they're not saying anything um it's really not the kind of show that's an a true analogy now there's a beautiful star trek episode that's just the tempest there's forbidden planet that's an adaptation of the tempest that's trying to like use sci-fi and fantasy and analogy this one really isn't so it's fine they look sweet they're great actors it's okay um their lines are funny they're fast they're awesome uh however the issue with a lot of modern Shakespeare adaptations is that uh, only rich people can afford tickets. I was very lucky to have these tickets bought for me. Um, and they go generally uh, to hear the famous lines. And so the uh, actors will pause for dramatic effect <laughs> um, and <laughs> between the famous lines. And it drags. Uh, and it got to the point where I was deeply terrified that Prosper had just forgotten his lines like three or four times during the show because he just took so much time between lines to like emphasis something I don't know but you could have sped it up kept the language uh, kept more of the play and not cut as much would have been a better show um, this is the case where pretty clearly uh, the director and the adapter know what the language means and have chosen to play it differently because they're afraid the audience doesn't know what the language means or they're not giving the audience the benefit of the doubt um, or they're not reading closely enough and they don't care because it's really about the stage magic. Uh, really good example of this. I'm on my Shakespeare academic soapbox now. Um, there's a expository speech at the beginning of the play where Prospero explains to Miranda why they're on the island and tells them the whole story for the benefit of the audience and the benefit of, of the plot we got exiled here. I raised you for 12 years. Um, I'm going to have my revenge on the people who exiled me from the line. Cool. And throughout, he goes, after ex explaining that he's her tutor as well as her father, um, throughout goes, hey, are you listening? He, you know, like a teacher in a classroom. Hey, you paying attention? And each time she goes, yes, I'm paying attention. Yes, your, your story is so interesting. It would cure deafness. She's like, and good adaptations of this play that I've seen have her like doing some stage business she's like messing around with something she's falling asleep she's like goofing off like a student in a classroom and then every time he has to like and because there's no stage directions you have to infer from the language that that's what's supposed to happen well this miranda just was staring at him the entire time just like doing nothing and staring at him rapt attention entirely but he still has those lines about hey are you paying attention mm -hmm. which either means he's insane yeah. um or that nobody actually read the lines and understand what they mean. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Or it could be like when Han and Teller do their thing and it doesn't seem like Teller is paying attention because he doesn't talk, move, or emote at all. <laughs> Talking to a fucking wall. <laughs> yeah, potentially. Uh, Ariel had a lot of the... Um, 
it was the same Ariel who originated the role like 10 years ago in Vegas, had a lot of the physical mannerisms of Teller. You could yeah. tell that that was that was very much like the the insert character. I don't think Teller ever played the role himself, um, but it's very much picked up from that style. So yeah. it's frustrating to see a show where um, it's it can be so slow and where I like almost had a heart attack because I thought somebody was just going to totally forget what they were meant to say and then realizing that was on purpose. Um, and you lose like half the play. They're characters who are um, simply not in it or in it for two scenes. Um, we saw an understudy the uh, for uh, the younger brother of the king. The mm -hmm. actor who was supposed to play the younger brother of the king was the bad guy in season two of Luke Cage, the like crazy preacher. Um, not Cottonmouth. Don't remember that show well enough. Um, didn't matter. He wasn't there because he's in two scenes and they've cut all the rest of his lines. That dude doesn't need to be in this show. He's a great actor. He would have been great in it for 10 minutes. Yeah. Uh, but like, what's the point? So, um, yeah, modern Shakespeare's tough. Uh, people don't trust the language. People don't trust the story. And so you get sort of truncated bits and pieces, um, which is kind of a sad. But the, the stage magic was sweet. And if it had been like a variety show that was Tempest-themed, I think it would have been um, a better marketing of what it actually was. So, um, like we said, stage shows. Go ahead. I don't know that people should trust the language. or I, I, don't, I don't know that people should trust the audience. Like, we don't get taught Shakespeare or how to read it or, like, I am Contaminator in a way that's uh, comprehensive at all in public school. Like, that's not a that's not a thing. Um, I think we read, we probably read Hamlet out of, like, canonical necessity where, where I went to high school. Um, but it is a, a massively... Um, I think unappreciated uh, just all of Elizabethan drama, I think is massively under, or maybe not even appreciated, just underemphasized in American public education. Whereas in the UK, they're just always reading that shit. And they all have a sort of like at least rudimentary uh, understanding of how Shakespeare works. Yeah. I don't think you need to like, be you know obsessed with it or super inundated with it the canon is expanding at all times and that's fine but yeah. i think that it comes down to actors knowing what they're saying and what the words mean and when you as an actor know what the words mean you can say them and do the stage business or enunciate and emote in such a way that the audience can get it um but you have to be willing to sit down and do the work and i think that there were a bunch of spots in the show where they took it you know, two definitions or connotations of the word well and went, one of them is correct for the sentence. The other one is the one that the audience is familiar with. We're going to go with the one the audience is familiar with and not try. Right. And, you know, okay, they're here to do magic, really. They're not here to, yeah, uh, whatever. Yeah. But, um, you know, but that's very much like the the sort of brand name, big picture, this is why Lamar should go to Vegas. They'll appreciate him there. Nobody has to try very hard. They'll pay him his money. Yeah, maybe. Or he'll just fuck. I mean, Devontae Adams would actually actually probably leave if that happened. Yeah. Yeah, probably. 
Like this is not this is not the move, guys. Um, that's cool though. Yeah, I haven't seen. A- it was nice to go to a show. Um, yeah the the theater was masked up, required masks the entire time. You know, we're we're rolling the dice on that. Like specifically when it's clear that everybody has to be masked. Um, you know, the Kraken variant has been released in the world, and it's more infectious than any variant preceding it and it doesn't matter if you've been infected before it'll get you again and it's gonna it's gonna be bad we're entering another spike so this is our one thing yeah for a while probably i yeah the uh uh that is not something that i would spend money on and not something that i routinely check i mean there are a lot of playhouses where i live as well and they're always showing shit um, but it's been a long time since I've been to a play, like a fucking long time. Could have been college the last time I saw a play. We uh, see it together, maybe. Yeah. Uh, uh, that yeah, that's wild. Maybe I'll maybe I'll go check one out. I don't know. Uh, it, it, it's an art form that I've always really liked. Um, and it's just like it's the money thing. Theater is I mean, theater is dying, and so they're raising the ticket prices um expediating its death as a result yeah yeah which is because if i'm gonna pay a hundred dollars for an orchestra sheet i would rather uh invite my friends over and like buy pizza honestly Mm -hmm. than go to a fucking play no that's true and it's tough that's it really becomes just totally um out of most people's reach and a lot of it's not great. And, you know, the cost benefit of, you know, I mean, I don't even go to see a movie in theaters anymore because like I can just watch it on on TV. Like you have to see the theater, uh, the show live. But if it's bad, <laughs> the sunk cost is is heavy. So it's tough. Um, But luckily, there are small play like movies. Um, After our talk last week, I watched the menu. The menu could you could do that on stage just about yeah um that's a very like small movie and it's the right way to do a covid movie of you know it's like clearly clearly it's small because they're doing you know smaller smallish cast one set pretty much um they're on an island and so it's easier to control for covid but it doesn't feel claustrophobic except when it means to on purpose mm-hmm. extremely well staged um a lot of fun Maybe uh, I've you know, my brain's been broken by by Tumblr and Hannibal, but this movie had a hundred percent less cannibalism than I was expecting, and I was disappointed. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's a very specific note. <laughs> <laughs> it's called the menu. It's got all of these themes of you know exploitation and violence and cons- and consumption and consumerism. And people die in it, and nobody gets eaten. It's wild to me. It just seemed like a total missed opportunity. I'm not following this one. There, <laughs> you, you like? Did you expect somebody to get eaten in the movie Parasite? Uh, no. But that didn't have food as a very specific. It's just the um, food thing. Yeah, you watch. It's the food thing. Yeah, you're watching a food thing, and. You know, dude dies halfway through and then they have more courses to go and like, well, clearly they're going to serve that dude as the next course. And then they don't. <laughs> and I was disappointed. Uh, 
you're watching like Stanley Tucci and Big Night wondering when he's going to eat Tony Shalhoub. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's a food movie for fuck's sake. They haven't eaten a person in this movie. Uh, yep. Yeah, that's right. That that movie fucking rules. I mean, I saw it with uh with uh Prince B. Prince B and I went we saw the menu together, uh the menu. Uh and we went because we're big Anya Taylor Joy fans. And she's I think she's she's becoming a movie star. I think it's a slow build. But I think she's she's getting there. Uh, I mean, she already got the, and maybe she didn't get an Emmy, but she's already got nominated for all this shit. Uh, and Nicholas Holt is in it, who I love. Ray Fiennes is perpetually just a great actor. Um, but I was also excited for like John Leguizamo, who's having yeah. sort of like a he's having this like you know his moment right now. He was in that. He was also in Violent Night, the David Harbor Santa Claus kills everybody movie um where john leguizamo plays a character in there uh and it is a a very it this is going to be like the covid movie model i think where uh there is some contrivance to explain why people are in a secluded destination all in one room essentially like (laughs) This is the glass onion thing. This is the menu thing. All of, this is old, the M. Night Shyamalan thing, where it's just on a beach. Like there's all there's gonna be a just a, a genre of these films that people are gonna look back on during the next pandemic, you know, in 10 years. <laughs> and they're gonna be like, these are the movies they made during the COVID pandemic. And uh it it's gonna have all that sort of like formulaic shit where it's like Oh, during between 2021 and 2023, all movies had to figure out a way to de- defend that fact they only have one location. <laughs> it, yeah, it, it kind of it kind of does make like it does make people um have to go back to the old school way of making movies where it was like done on a soundstage. Like you watch Rio Bravo, like the John Wayne Dean Martin movie. It happens all within like one set and yep. it's kind of how they made movies back in the day. Um, and so it was very old school in that way, but it, you know, much more prescient class critiques and shit like that. Um, yeah, it was cool. I, the movie is more divisive than I w- would have assumed. And really? Yeah, because I've I've been having conversations with folks uh, recently, um, uh, sort of like out of our COVID lockdown, um, we've gone out just to to see a couple of people while we have the super immunity, and uh, the yeah, I was shocked that people have have disliked this genre of movie as much as they have. Uh, like I was talking to somebody who hated Glass Onion, who thought it was, who thought, <laughs> and I understand this critique. Um, to to base a, a an entire movie around a metaphor of what's obvious, um, and to have uh Daniel Craig lampshade the reveal at the end by saying it's stupid, it's dumb, it's this, that, and the third, and then for you to realize that you watched a stupid dumb movie. <laughs> 
<laughs> is like, well, why, why did I even waste my time with this? Uh, I, I could, you know, I wanted a big sort of like a uh, smart reveal type of thing. That's not what the movie was trying to do. And it's like, I fundamentally disagree with the premise of the movie and I don't find it entertaining or smart or engaging, but Ryan Johnson put all his chips in, in the center of the table and told you exactly what he was going to do. And he did it. And so it's kind of, it's like weird because you can't like dislike it, but you can. Yeah. You went to see a movie called glass onion. What did you expect? <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. But no, you're right. I, it, 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 I can see why that one is divisive um, because it is by nature kind of hollow. So it really hinges on did you enjoy those the actors traipsing through it? And my answer is, yeah, they were all a lot of fun. And that's yeah. like that one doesn't have the same kind of rewatchability as Knives Out uh, because it's yeah. not designed to. Once you break the box open, you can't put it back together. Yes. Um, the menu, I don't know that it's necessarily like massively rewatchable but i would i'm surprised that that would be so divisive yeah i think that there was there there is a sense i think that people find these types of movies a little boring and slow and it is interesting because we are used to either sort of a more cinema verite camera moving through various locations like grounded in 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 a, in a type of like naturalism or like an avengers style movie where there's like 75 cuts in you know two minutes basically um, yeah people have become uncomfortable with the camera just lingering as people talk to each other <laughs> right well well i think people have become uncomfortable with it well i i think it's hard to do I think that's the issue is that it's hard to make that interesting and you see it in TV all the time. Uh, you rarely see it happen in movies. I think that like that's Tarantino sock and trade. That's the one thing that he can sort of lay claim to is that he's managed to make movies propelled by dialogue. Interesting. Um, there's nothing else about them. That's that interesting. But like the fact that he's, he's making movies that are, uh, are sort of like about nothing for two and a half hours. It's just the characters talking to each other and building out these things, I think is, is, is a gift that he has. And that's why he's such a singular sort of talent where a lot of people cannot do that. Um, but I thought that the, that the menu was done in a way that was um, smart. I think it unfolded, uh, you know, it with the, the the kind of pacing that I like where it's sort of like unravels throughout yeah, and the tension builds and it you know, you know it's gonna go wrong but you don't know exactly how or why and it slowly gets more and more nuts. Yeah, I like the build a lot. Again, I'm just so far off the other end of the spectrum that I expected it to go farther sooner and more. And you know, as as violent and you know um biting as it was mm not enough literal biting of other people because right. i think not just because or specifically because that fits with what the story is trying to say with its critique with the the givers and the takers and the service workers being exploited and being you know having grinding their lives to dust for the benefit of these people who are consume them so it's feels like it fits but again 
maybe not everybody's expectation. Yeah, I I thought it was interesting. the The thing that troubled me about the movie was the fact that everybody had to die, including the 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 service workers and the assistant. To, yeah, and that yeah. is. I don't think lazy is the right word. It is troubling, um, and it feels too neat. Um, yeah, it's no. just like we want one big conflagration. Oh, well, maybe in that sense. I thought it was more sort of a... I thought it was more so a... It was a sort of commentary on the sort of the absurd nature of a kind of like high society artistic expression that Mm. the... the conceptualization is to like that movie mirrors a dish that is molecularly gastronomized into being a single bead inside of a large orb full of smoke yeah that's what the ending of that movie was like excessively too much for no reason and I think that that is kind of what Ray Fiennes' character was uh, conceptualizing throughout and why Anya Taylor-Joy was able to strike a nerve with the cheeseburger thing. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, it, it is, I think, the food equivalent or like the 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 spectacle equivalent of a kind of... Uh, uh, overdone let's say excessive dish killing everybody is a little excessive in my opinion call me crazy but, no uh, I, I agree yeah. uh but yeah so also is like the fucking weird like little dips that they gave and all of that shit i thought was fucking crazy the yeah. nicholas whole thing was dark where he'd like when and prepare like fucked up an entire meal and then hung himself. <laughs> and that's actually the guy that I wanted them to eat. Uh, because I think the, the 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 story there is, you know, he's the kind of guy that um that ruins the art uh, and the performance of of cooking because like, he thinks he knows all the tricks and he has all the tools at home and he's trying to get behind the scenes and then they put him in it's like okay, cook something and he fucks up and gets humiliated. Mm-hmm. And I think you know it makes sense that he goes and hangs himself out of shame. I think it would have been more interesting for Ray Fiennes to go one step further and say, I've humiliated you. You're not a cook. You're not one of us. You can't contribute in that way. There is one way you can redeem yourself. There is one way you can still contribute to the meal. Be the meal. Mm. Um, and sort of like put, you know, and in the same way, because Holt talks about the Fiennes character, you know, living on that edge of life and death and the, the way he thinks of cooking as that sort of like, weird sort of visceral uh, memento mori thing um having him you know farm to table to farm again like all the way back and feed the system uh i think would be poetic and that is something that you can do with food movies uh if you're uh fucked up enough to eat yeah eat <laughs> i don't know man <laughs> <laughs> this is a tough sell i think all right well clearly it was they didn't do it but I think metaphorically powerful. 
the uh i was trying to find out what the writers had done whether they were like um uh like uh playwrights or anything like that but it seems like at least one of the writers wrote for like college humor and it was like a yeah just like a like a comedy shorts writer that makes sense this kind of feels like a comedy short with a big budget doesn't it you know that does make sense yeah but it's nice to know that those people are getting work (laughs) yeah i read a absurd article about um a sort of expose that facebook had convinced market or convinced a bunch of news outlets to change their content between like 2012 and 2016 or something from print to video by showing them a bunch of metrics of viewer interactions for it only to turn out that they had basically fudged the numbers on the metrics and the idea was places like college humor and vice fired all their writers hired video people changed their content lost their readership a lot of these people went out of work only to discover that nobody actually likes watching video content that way. Um, And the only reason Facebook got them to do it was to push the marketers who put ads in the videos. So it was just a money-making scheme that ruined a whole industry, which is why up, you know, after about 10 years ago, the sort of, you know, little jokey article sites gave way to bite-sized video and Facebook then created the world they wanted to see that turned into, you know, the world of tiktok and constant video and nobody writes it that's fucked up yeah and also the, facebook is a hellhole anyway like you never want to be on there but you certainly don't want to be on there watching videos when yeah. like youtube exists or tiktok or some shit like that like there's no reason to watch a video on facebook ever really um it's weird i was uh <laughs> i was watching I don't know, something on YouTube, like some conspiracy bullshit uh, rabbit hole that I went down. And one of the comments said that because uh, it was like about sort of like boomers uh, who think that like Obama didn't do enough to stop 9-11 or didn't do enough to respond. Like just like all this uh-huh. dumb bullshit. Um, and there was a very poignant comment on this YouTube video, which is rare. Well, which said that the people who were worried about us getting tricked by the internet as kids are being tricked by the internet as adults. Like they're the ones who they're the ones who were responsible for teaching us how to use the internet responsibly. And they have become so duped and 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 brainwashed and radicalized by the internet um which is fucking crazy and in the same token all of the guidelines that we had as children of don't use your real name don't give out your personal information you know the internet is not a safe place have aliases changed the moment advertisers realized they could sell your data to each other right and suddenly it was of course give us your full name and address and your birth date so we can send you stuff and and take your data and, and turn it as because you are now a product on the internet you're the product not the consumer um but all of the like internet safety of the late 90s and the early 2000s disappeared once yeah. um it became uh a product and not just a uh environment yeah um it's fucked up <laughs> all yeah. right so no. get off social media. 
Yeah, get off social media. I wanted to play a game. I've been playing this game with or 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 Prince, Prince B. B. <laughs> yeah. I've been playing this game with fucking Prince B. Basic internet safety, folks. <laughs> Fake names. <laughs> and so I, I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna I'll explain the game, and I want you to play a round of this game. Okay, we will do this. Okay, so the game is called the box office game. Ooh. Uh, this is a game that was it was begun on on a podcast called Blank Check that um, during the sort of Wordle craze, a mm-hmm. programmer took that concept and adapted it with their blessing into um, this uh, format. And so every day, a different weekend from all of film history is put up and your job the objective of the game is to guess all five using a series of clues now every time you reveal a clue you lose some points yes every time you reveal uh any clue you lose points and so the maximum uh, maximum amount of points you can get is 1200 that would be if you guessed every single one of these without a single clue being revealed to you um and you received bonus points because you get 10 uh guesses every time you get a guess wrong you lose 20 points um so the reason that i i i decided to do this one because we've been playing it for a while is because i think it's fairly easy you definitely know all of these movies if you haven't seen all of these movies you certainly Mm -hmm. know them all and so um do you have any questions about the game format i don't think so no we can do it okay so we'll start off with number one and for the for for the audience and well for the audience i'll explain what it is we're looking at so this movie was distributed by paramount pictures it is new this week it grossed 72 million dollars that's now i do have one question uh is that this week or is this april 8th 2022 april 8th 2022 yeah so when i I say this week i mean april 8th 2022 which was not that long ago uh and like i said you know all of these movies. So do you want to reveal an actor? Do you want to reveal reveal the tagline? Um and we have to go movie by movie here. We'll go movie uh, by movie. Okay, okay. Uh let's do um so uh to be clear. Oh wait, do you want to see all of them? Because maybe you'll be able to get one of them from like the gross. Yeah, sure. Let's they're all five. Okay. So number two, Sony Pictures film came out in april uh grossed 10 million dollars in its second week 57 million dollars total third uh, wait it's a sony picture sony picture morbius is it morbius survey says it is indeed morbius yeah it's <laughs> like made no money sony <laughs> gotta be uh number three oh, that's Paramount. so funny Paramount Pictures, it's in its third week, 68 million total. This week it made nine million dollars. So we got two Paramounts here. Um this mm-hmm. one will, will be the, the hardest one. Um Okay, let's uh I'm gonna go all the way to the bottom because there's a Warner Brothers picture, and I'm gonna assume that's the Batman. Yeah, what gave it away? The enormous gross. <laughs> yeah. That is the Batman. Look at the massive budget on that guy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's in week uh it's in week six, 
uh, it has grossed $358 million, and that's only domestic. And so worldwide, uh, final gross, $770 million. So, yeah, those are the two easy ones. Um, mm-hmm. There are two additional ones that are also easy, and there's one that you might not get. Um, okay, so let's go back up to this first one. This is a Paramount picture. It was, re- it was released April 2022. Okay, so um, can you lose? Can I I suggest what you reveal? Yes, please do. I suggest you reveal the tagline. Yeah, I figured that's because it's you lose forty points, but um, usually that'll that'll do it for you. So yeah, give me the tagline. So the tagline for this mystery film is, "Welcome to the next level." Oh, Jumanji. Take a second. <laughs> oh wait, that's it's not right. Twenty twenty two. Oh, twenty twenty two. Right, right, right. The next level. Uh, Sonic. You want to guess Sonic? Yeah. The Hedgehog two. The second one. Yes. <laughs> it is Sonic the Hedgehog two. You're pretty good at the game. Not gonna lie. Okay. Uh, right. this third one. This one will be tough. I don't know that you know what this movie is. Oh, okay. Well, give me a tagline and we'll see. So the tagline for this mystery film is the adventure is real. The heroes are not. Great tagline. <laughs> if you knew what this movie was, this would be a an obvious guy. Yeah, that's a really good tagline. Um, There was something that came out that had a bunch of... It was like... Not called the green screen. That's not right. Is um, but then I don't know if that got a release. Um, it had Pedro Pascal in it. Maybe <laughs> bunch of bullshit. Um, that huh. is not this. That's not this. Okay, the adventure is real. Heroes are not. Um, and uh, free guy didn't come out around. Free guy? No. We could try. Uh, let's try free guy. Free guy is not it. No. Okay. It is not free guy. Although that is a good tagline for free guy. Yeah. All right. Give me another tagline. We'll we'll uh, we'll come back to this one. Okay. So this is a universal picture. Uh, it has made eight million dollars in its first week of release. The tagline for this motion picture is it was supposed to be a simple heist. And this is what studio? This is Universal. Universal Studios. It was supposed to be a simple heist. Um so this can't be one of the zombie uh maybe it is. Is it uh that's Netflix. That's Netflix, and that yeah. they're not in, in part, and they're not in partnership with somebody. Um, okay. Yeah. So no, you, that that is not it. No, it, the Army of the what was it called? Yeah, Army of the Army of the Dead. Yeah. Um, Army of the Damned. Army of the Dead. That's right. You could Simple. also you could also reveal an actor, perhaps. Yeah. Give me the the top actor. Top actor. It was supposed to be a simple heist. Jake Gyllenhaal. Oh, is this ambulance? Ambulance. 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 I just I don't even remember 
I didn't know what he was doing to get in the ambulance. I thought it was a kidnapping. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, by the way, this is a great week. I'll, I'll, I'll just say all of these movies made an impression on me. Not all positive, but all of these movies made a massive impression on me. Amelance, I put as the third best movie of 2022. You did. All right. Give me an actor for this uh, adventure is real heroes. Not great tagline. Truly. It's great tagline. And if you don't get it from the actor, I don't think you know what this movie is. Sandra Bullock. Oh, is this that? um, I can see they're in a jungle. Yes. And um, yeah. And uh, Daniel Radcliffe's in it. Uh, Brad, not Pitt. Daniel Radcliffe, the other one. Oh, yeah, oh, no. oh, 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 Channing Tatum and Brad Pitt. Okay, yes. Daniel and Radcliffe is... plays the. Oh yeah, you're right. He plays the villain. Yes, right. And I have no idea what it's called. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a this is the point at which if you didn't know what it was called, you would have to reveal all hints and reveal the film, and you lose all your bonus points. Ah, oh, okay. Um. It's got it's some it's like a last nah go ahead. Yep. I just yeah. don't know what it's called. I can see the poster even. It's so frustrating. The Lost City. The Lost City. I was thinking the last something. Okay. You got a 680 on it. Um would you would you be surprised to know that Prince B is a goddamn ringer at this game? Not in the slightest. <laughs> You got a 1020 on this. I got a 960. Um, I guessed a bunch of different shit for uh the the lost city. And I and I oh god, I was so mad at myself because I couldn't get ambulance from just the tagline. Because it's such a it's so generic. Yeah. Generic fucking tagline that I had to reveal Jill and Hall. And then I was, you know, it was already going down. But this is a fun game. This is fun. Yeah, I like it a lot. Um, we 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 always text back and forth when we do the box office game, and uh, what we had one recently from 1982, and it, it was like truly, you could like, first of all, the craziest thing, uh, this trip to tripped us both up is it was in 1982. Um, and Indiana or Raiders of the Lost Ark was on it. Raiders of the Lost Ark came out in 1981. But it had been in the top uh, five for 40 weeks in a row. It was just still in theaters. Still in theaters. That's uh, wild. So that tripped us up. Uh, uh, Chariots of Fire was similar. Ch- Chariots of Fire had been in theaters for 25 weeks up until that weekend in the top five. And then there were all these like random fucking movies. Like there was a movie with Jack Lemon called Missing. I'd never heard of him in my life. Uh, there was a movie uh, called On Golden Pond, which fucked. Oh, both yeah, the, the the it's an adaptation of a play. I know that one. I I, I never heard of that movie in my life. We're going to have a movie night to watch On Golden Pond, which also sounds boring as shit. <laughs> Got remade recently with um, uh, James Earl Jones. Uh, how recent? probably 10 years ago now <laughs> oh okay uh yeah it, yeah it was all these actors Catherine hepburn henry fonda jane fonda mm-hmm. yeah classic uh, yeah i made a bunch of money uh but yeah i had no idea what the fuck it was um but yeah that's a fun game uh so one thing that i do want to talk about is uh keep following 
the career of the one Jonathan Majors. I watched mm. Devotion uh, last night. Uh, just out of obligation? That looked like if someone wanted to like reskin Top Gun in a different war. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, it was fantastic. I mean, he is so good. And also the, the, the dude who's in that movie with him, Glenn Powell was also really good. See the, uh, the new agent Smith from the other matrix movie. Is that him? Oh no, that's Jonathan Groff. Uh, Glenn, oh, okay. It, Glenn Powell was Glenn Powell. I knew from a short lived show on Fox, I believe, called Scream Queens, um, where like Jamie Lee Curtis played the principal of a school where there was like a killer on the loose. And Glenn Powell was this sort of like uh, frat bro character, lovable kind of doofus guy um, who was perpetually always sort of... Um, a suspect to be the the murderer because he's so an unhinged and i always thought he was just like a comedic actor because he's so goddamn funny in that show and that show really like slid on the radar got canceled really soon Mm -hmm. but i think that if they made that today it would be like a smash hit it was so good um but yeah he was one of the uh then he did a bunch of rom-coms after that um and then his big break was in top gun maverick he did two movies about no, so it actually was the same guy in top gun that's funny yeah he did two movies about us two back-to-back plane movies well specifically about u.s naval pilots um who are the best pilots in the military by virtue of having to like land on aircraft carriers and shit like they have all of these different like responsibilities and and more precise actions and shit like that um i saw top gun maverick i thought devotion was better um only because devotion is based on a true story it's based on this guy um ensign jesse brown who was um the first uh african-american who passed basic training to become a u.s naval uh pilot um and a guy named lieutenant tom hudner who um became friends with him you know during this period of segregation and shit like that and yeah jonathan major's just like in a movie where you can absolutely phone it in i think this is the kind of thing that likes differentiates like like the legends from you know just the whatever fine actors is that in a movie where he could have phoned it in he didn't like he took this very seriously and I mean, I was a fucking blubbering mess at the end of the movie um, because, you know, spoiler alert, all those stories a billion years old. Jesse Brown dies in the movie and he's like the first casualty of the Korean War. Um, and the weird thing about the story is that. So he goes down like he gets clipped, his 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 plane starts leaking oil, which is no good plane needs oil um and so he takes it down and uh crash lands it and he gets stuck like his legs get pinched uh underneath the 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 cockpit or whatever and so he's stuck there and so glenn powell tom hudner has comes down 
crash lands next to him and then they try to pull him out and can't. And so he's stuck there and he's still stuck there. Meaning that for the rest of his life, Tom Hudner was trying to get clearance to go back to that place to get Jesse Brown. And the like the because the governments would not allow that to happen. And mm-hmm. so still to this day, they're trying to go and excavate the remains of Jesse Brown and bring him back to the US. Crazy. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not much for those stories about like, oh, look how accepting the U.S. military became or whatever. But I totally because I saw a bunch of trailers for this during football, maybe. Um, and he looked Jonathan Majors looked awesome in it. I'm like, there's no reason need to be that good that you're absolutely right. Like that is a totally boilerplate, raw, raw tearjerker. But he's just bringing 110 percent effort to everything. And um, the ant-man trailer was during the college football game and he is bringing so much pathos to a character that you could totally phone in um but he's just there's so much inner life to kang that he's imbuing what could be a really um flat character with which is going to be great um i don't know if the rest of those actors can like i'm not sure if jonathan majors is going to stick out um, because based on the rest of the actors, it's going to be interesting to see um, Paul Rudd share screen time with him and kind of see like the, the level and the relative weight that the Ant-Man movies are pitched at um, with the gravitas of Kang is going to be interesting. Yeah. I, I will say this, though, also about Devotion. It was directed by a, a black filmmaker who's been doing sort of indie movies about um, you know, complicated black characters. And one of the things that this movie does not do is the sort of like remember the Titans sort of glorification of like how people found common ground despite being across the color line. Um, because Glenn Powell's character is, is always fucking up. Like he's always, he's always advocate. He, he thinks he's advocating. He thinks he's helping throughout <clears throat> the entire film, but he's just not until like the very end where he finally does something that, uh, is like truly selfless. That is hmm. sacrificing something to, you know, help this man. And that is risking his life to go and try to pull him out of a plane. But like there are there are moments of like bureaucracy. There are moments where he's sort of like getting trapped up in the chain of command. There's moments where um, uh, he gets written up by Tom for insubordination and he he does it because he technically did not follow an order but in writing that he sort of guarantees that he'll never get promoted beyond mm-hmm. that and the reason he doesn't follow orders is because of Hudner's fuck up and he's like but I just wrote what happened and he's like well that's w- w- like that's not going to translate to all of the people who are Dead to read this now against yeah, yeah. me not ever being a part of this unit in the first place and it is strange too because i'm waiting for the moment in the movie where they like become friends and it doesn't happen until 
until he dies. Until he's trapped under a plane. That's fascinating. And this is so important to know the difference between a trailer and a movie. Because the trailers absolutely look like Remember the Titans. You know, it's pitched and and it looks bad. Uh, That's that's how you sell this type of movie, too. You Mm -hmm. sell it like... Uh, this is sort some sort of feel good movie. This movie is very much not a feel good movie where it's like, man, this guy died for what is kind of like the feeling that you get at the end of the movie. And yeah, it, at the end, uh, there's like this sense of like uh, deep emptiness that Glenn Powell's character feels. And it is it's fucking bizarre it's a that's weird hardcore movie. it's a yeah. weird ass movie i'm glad to hear that um that's fucked up but that's you know and i like that the title devotion becomes this kind of ironic take on you know what does it mean to be devoted to an institution that hates you or you know yeah. what does it take to be devoted to somebody so that's cool um <laughs> rough movie and yeah. not at all what it looks like from the trailer different kind of heartstrings to pull at neat and of course Jonathan Majors is going to be awesome in that. Yeah, yeah. And and he also has I've seen him talking a lot of roundtables and stuff like that. He, he he did a roundtable where he was talking with Nicolas Cage and Ooh. I was shocked at how similar they are. I mean, Jonathan Majors is a, is a better actor half asleep. Um but the they they are like cuz I don't know if you've ever saw, heard Nick Cage talking about acting. But he's he's like very intentional about every fucked up weird thing that he does. <laughs> like you know that the st- you like you'll watch like Vampires Kiss or some shit like that, and he'll be talking about the de- the ca- the cabinet of Doctor Caligari. And he'll be talking about him, uh, German expressionism. He'll be talking about like uh, why he made this decision and that decision. And then you watch that movie and you're like, oh, Nicolas Cage is fucking unhinged. Like this is all coming out of like he's just on set uh, chewing the scenery, hamming this up, and then come to find out he has all of these like philosophical reasons for doing the things he's doing. Like it doesn't compute to anybody except him. <laughs> <laughs> and uh which is funny, and uh, the unbearable weight of massive talent sort of like makes fun of him for this because he is a hack actor in there who is like always talking about craft and he's always referencing old movies and shit like that. Um, and he and Jonathan majors have, a, and Andrew Garfield is also in that one. It's worth watching and a uh, bunch of unhinged people. Yeah. And Jonathan majors is sitting there connecting with Nick cage. Cause they talk about their approaches in a really similar way. Like they're always grounded in, in, in a, in a kind of like, vulnerable truth that is rooted in all these experiences that they've had and that is like uh informed by like a vast reservoir of 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 very intentional engagements with different types of and styles of acting um and it's just so weird that you know one of them is you know johnny blaze and fucking (laughs) the craziest actor i've ever seen and the other one is like maybe his generation's best actor yet to be seen, but he's certainly trending in that. Yeah. And yet the, um, the one at the end of all things, whatever, like the Immortus, his little cameo in Loki, that could have been an Nicholas Cage character. He's deeply unhinged in that role. (laughs) Uh, Very cool. 
Yeah, no, he'll go there. He'll go all to all of these places. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the uh, so I guess yeah, we'll we'll be talking we'll be talking ball next week. What are your predictions? You think we we pull it out against the Bengals? No, but I think it's going to be like seventeen fifteen or something. I think the um, defense is going to keep it really close, and uh, Tyler Huntley is going to score like you know fifteen points. Yeah. And that's basically it. I mean, if the defense can keep it under 16, you can say have a chance. Like Huntley has been averaging about 16 points as, as he's helmed up the Ravens. This is very similar to the 2000 Ravens. Like if he mm-hmm. keeps 16 and the defense is good enough to stop it. Uh, or if he can give you nine and the defense can give you another seven. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is also true. And as we've noted, it's a very, very young defensive core. I think it's going to be very good two, three years from now. If Lamar's here, great. If not, I don't know. We still got a chance. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of It's Just as Bad. No social medias. Bye. Is this just bad? Bad? It's like my pirates broke your brain, robbing knowledge, no joking. Opening your mind with the crowbar till you're woken, hitting Hydra, hailing hairs, half a time for hella reasons. We're more than winter soldiers, with the men for all seasons. Listen closely while we share our expertise in cosmic comics culture. Dean, it's free tuition to the multiversity. Mouse and psycho teaching perfect balance when we snap infinite gems into your ears. Dust our shoulders when we speak. Purple men persuasive feet. Or Randy Savage rattles with their mortal technique. Ooh.